Short disclaimer, this podcast is in no way affiliated with the Stars production or Diana Gabaldon. All views expressed are solely our own. Welcome to the Outlander Podcast, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Welcome to episode 149 of the Outlander Podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Summer, and we are in love with all things Outlander. Oh my gosh, what an episode. I have so many things to say, but first, feedback for 209, Je suis prêt. First up is Cindy. Hi, it's Cindy from the Worcester area, Massachusetts. I was calling because I personally have a degree in nutrition. And when I was watching the episode and they were talking about the K-rations, the, the American soldiers were talking about the K-rations that they received. As part of the degree, we had to go to the army labs nearby at the time. And we had to work on the most recent versions of the MREs, which are the, the meals ready to eat that are sent to combat troops now. And the versions that the version that I personally was working on at that point was a beef and bean burrito that was sent to, I mean, obviously it, that was sent to troops. And I mean, you can buy them for personal use now. People use them as emergency food prep and like their bug out bag. But I was thinking like what soldiers eat now versus the K rations that those poor soldiers in World War II were getting. It's because they were getting pretty much uh, very hard tack biscuits and canned meat and cheese and the most processed fruits and vegetables that you can possibly get at that time. But it's just, uh, it was also, it was just, it's just an interesting thing that I worked on the, the food that soldiers get now. And it's just so much better. Also in the K rations that they used to get, there would be four or five, a package of four or five cigarettes that they would put in the, the K rations, which I always thought was interesting knowing what we know about cigarettes now and that that would be so detrimental to a soldier's health. Oh, just something to think about. Okay, talk to you later. I mean, a beef and bean burrito sounds pretty tasty. I was about to say, we have a Taco Bell on the street. <laughs> I know. Guess where we're then, going after we record. No, can't. Too late. Too many no, carbs. No, but you know what, though? Jack in the Box tacos. Jack in the Box tacos. I don't eat meat. I know you so don't. Because I, I know tacos are... Dude, I, I don't think I've ever shared this. I worked at Taco Bell the summer after I graduated from high school into college the first semester, and I had to quit because I, I had like... I had... 18 units it was crazy i couldn't keep it up i was so emotional I'm like i i it was too much i was working like four nights a week or three nights a week for six hours like from four to ten it was too much but anyway that ended were you making lots of sad burritos i did the best burritos ever <laughs> and i still know i still remember how to fold those babies <laughs> it was pretty good anyway uh no so i started in the summer went into the fall when i i quit but during the summer during the day i think i had at least like three jobs i was taco bell by night <laughs> Lifeguard by day, swim instructor as well by day at some local college high school pool. But I don't remember. I had a third job, I swear. I just don't remember what it was. But burritos. I vividly remember the Taco Bell experience. <sighs> Did you come by? You, you and the parents came We by, used right? to come all the time. Oh Not that it gave gosh. us any discounts. I know. They but it was just fun to watch you back there with the <laughs> sour cream gun. I remember. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember. So if you guys, I know this is totally not related ish to the feedback but how many of you guys have worked fast food you know if you're an american teenager odds are you probably there's a decent chance you've had a little bit of time in some kind of fast food uh yeah so 
I mean, it was 50% off and any as drinks were always free. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh so much because now I just want Taco Bell. And I, I know it gives you like the gas. Oh, my, my body does not like Taco Bell. <laughs> my tongue does. <laughs> Fantastic. My taste buds do. Is that better? My intestines surely don't. <laughs> no, mine neither. But as far as, you know, MREs of the day, I, I don't know what shit on a shingle is. They talk about shit on a shingle. Yeah, I don't think I don't, the, some, was the that comment a, or didn't. Remember, was it like that, toast, toast with like gravy, like meaty gravy on oh, it? Maybe. I have no idea. Yeah, maybe that's my guess. But that's that's interesting. That it's cool. It's kind of cool that part of what she was required to do was to look at what the military currently serves people. Mm-hmm. See, that's what we love about our listeners is because Summer and I have had you know our own life experiences. No, I have had none. I live in a bubble. She's had a few life experiences and, and we're completely different. However, you guys have however many listeners there are. We don't know. Uh, we hope we think many, many. You guys all are so unique and have lived your own lives. And that's like, it's almost like a hive mind when people say hive mind. Uh, don't make fun of the way I, I speak. Help it. <laughs> you do stuff like that. Yeah. It has to be brought up. Hive mind. They all heard it. You don't have to say it. <laughs> goodness anyway <laughs> you need to know that i Summer heard it likes this <laughs> next next up is jenny hi this is jenny from salt lake city utah and uh, i didn't get a chance to call in last week but after hearing the feedback on episode 208 i had to call in and uh, get my two cents uh, i really enjoyed the episode and i didn't mind the changes not at all um everyone is losing their minds over the appearance of larry and honestly, I don't get why people are as upset at, uh, upset by it as they are. It's not like I like the girl, but I think she's really an interesting character. And the love triangle between her and Jamie and Claire is sort of fascinating to watch. Um, Larry has this total obsession with Jamie that she just can't seem to let go of. Not that I blame her. And uh, Claire at this point would like to dance on her ashes. So I just think it's interesting. Complicated. I don't think Jamie knowing about what Larry did to Claire and Cranesmere is that big of a deal. It's kind of amazing that he didn't know in the books and the way that they left things with Jamie, thanking her, but not necessarily knowing why. I mean, he doesn't like the girl, but he ends things with her on kind of an upbeat note. So anyway, thanks. Sorry for the rehash, but I uh, wanted to let you guys know that not everyone hates the uh, jump the shark moments in episode 208. That's fair, Jenny. I just want to be clear. I'm not saying you, Jenny, said that we said this, but neither Summer I ever said we hated it. No, I said it was not my favorite. Exactly. Well, episode-wise, as well as the changes. Yes. But, see, that's the beauty is that whether you loved it or not, as Jenny said, it didn't bother her. And she thought it was interesting. And she found, and I find this fascinating, she found it mind-boggling that the Jamie in the book didn't know about Leary. And the Cranesmere connection. True, but him knowing for sure now makes what comes later hard t- harder to believe. Yeah. So that's, and you know, that's that's, that's my it. opinion. That's how I feel. We don't all have the same opinions. And I, I think that okay. I like that. I like having. Because otherwise there would be no podcast. It'd be like the Ginger and Ginger show or the Summer and Summer show. Oh, and- she would never let it be the Summer and Summer show. <laughs> it's usually the Ginger and Ginger show. That's our first glamour right there. <laughs> You're so mean to me. Because <laughs> I point oh. out the truth. <laughs> Next up is Nadine. Hello, ladies. 
This is Nadine from Greenville, South Carolina, and it's my first time calling, and I picked the perfect episode to do so. Episode 9 was amazing. I think it is my new favorite, and the reason why is the soundtrack, and Sam's performance is definitely had subtle changes on portrayal of Jamie, um, more mature, more commanding of his responsibilities and his men, even when he had to humble Dougal several times. Um, I just thought his performance, I know you're book readers and I won't say any spoilers, but I felt like Sam drew from that Virgin's story uh, when he was a soldier in France with Anne. And also I felt like I was seeing the Jamie of the future book. So I was really just felt like Jamie fell from the books to the screen instantaneously. Everybody's performance was amazing. It was really eye-opening to see Claire kind of frail with the PTSD. And the first time I really realized how much she's been through at this point, not just Jamie. And I love the dragonfly and amber quote. And of course, Lord John Gray, him coming into play was a delight to see. And of course, I love the line, you pig. I thought that was great. But yeah, the scenery, I don't know, just everything in the essence of the episode felt like the books to me more than several of the others. So performances, music, writing, directing. I mean, we're just so lucky that we're going to have two more seasons. And this episode just has got me even more enthused about that. But thank you for listening to me. And I love your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nadine. We love you and we love our listeners. We really, really appreciate you guys taking the time, whether it's mowing the lawn, though that will be probably difficult and really loud and we don't want you to hurt your ears. I know people that do that. While they mow the lawn? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Cody does. Cody likes to listen. He says he listens to the podcast while he does yard work. Well, I can see yard work, but mowing the lawn is loud. Well, maybe he just has noise canceling headphones. Maybe he has an electric one. I don't Is know. He fancy pants? I'll find out. I think he's trying to get rid of his lawn right now, but that's a whole other story. Like someone else I know. I think I said, well, yes, I did because I rapped about it oh, and I Lord. won't do it again. But man, in 209, I saw, I mean, we've seen it from the beginning, bits and pieces of Book Jamie, especially older, later Book mm-hmm. Jamie. But holy kamunky, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was apparently a new one because it threw some of her a loop and she made a face at me. Uh, 209, Jamie was pretty awesome well i mean i think we're seeing what he as a character or as a person is is capable of when given you know kind of free reign to to follow or make decisions because up until now everything he's done he's not really been leading anything when he was in france it was all subterfuge and it was all underneath you know the prince the king not the, yeah the prince the king and and anyone else he came into contact with the prince the king the princess whoever he, he could get under his wife, the whores. He got under no whores. Girl, well, he probably kind of did. One of them definitely got in his lap. Well, what is it? Swiss on neuve. But you don't know. He could have been the top on that. Uh, that's true. Maybe. Next up is Chantal. 
Hi, this is Chantal from Ottawa Calling, and uh, I just wanted to touch base and say that uh, I totally agree with you about the um, book reader versus non-book reader. I have a friend who's a non-book reader who's watching the series and loving every minute of it, and I do feel like um, I wish I could see the series with eyes, with eye, like pure eyes in that way that she can without getting frustrated sometimes with the way the adaptation is going. I wanted to say, though, that I love the way the adaptation has fleshed out characters that the book didn't flesh out as much, particularly Murta. I just adore Murta in the series, and he was more in the background in the books. And I just wanted to comment, and I don't know if it's Duncan, if it's Duncan Lacroix's interpretation, or if it's him as a person, or if it's his characterization of Murta, but I just love his genuine smiles when he sees Jamie and Claire, and he meets them on screen like his smile is just so beautiful and we saw it in the wedding when Jamie came out and he uh and Duncan's smile was just so genuine I thought I thought that's that's a real smile that's not an actor's smile and then he did it again to, in this episode when when Jamie and Claire walked up to him he had just this beautiful smile and I just love love his portrayal of Murta and I really hope that uh, we see him for for lots of time in the series to come hopefully thanks I agree with you, Chantal. The few times that we get those, as Summer would say, cheese-eating grins from Murta, it is golden. I, I love it. Well, he smiles so infrequently. So when yeah. he does, it's like this: the clouds part and the sun shines and it's ah. Uh, but I think I've always loved Murta. In the books, I loved Murta. But I think that he, I would agree with you, he has been way more fleshed out. And we've gotten a lot more backstory from series Murta than we did in the books. But, you know. It'd be it'd be cool if we could if some of those campaigns actually meant something. If we could save if we could save a doomed character, he would be the top of my list. I was about to say that's some of the most around talking talking around something we've done without saying it, but then some kind I said of it. just smashed it at the end. So I tried. That's kinda it. You can read between those lines. You don't really have to now. And that is our listener feedback for the week. Uh, next up we will be discussing episode two ten entitled Preston Pans, or as it should be called, The Great misdirection of ira stephen bear so in the opening title of preston pans we see the bagpipes the drums it's perfect of course it's foreshadowing if you will not much foreshadowing when the title is called preston pans and we know it's a battle but it's a call to war when claire is walking to take a pee and runs across uh, excuse me she went to take a pish that's true and she's going to do that she runs across a corpse. Now, he was in this little tiny mossy, like little outlet, inlet, whatever. No water. But there was water. There's like a burn nearby. I full on thought. Now, this scene is kind of from the book, but not it's really. It's totally from the Hold book. Hold on. There was no corpse? Yes, there was. Remember the corpse mold? There was no mold on that dude. No, there wasn't, but I was looking for it. That's what I'm trying to say. The scene is kind of from the book in that they stumble across a corpse. I don't remember if they take his weapon or not, which it would make sense if they did, if there was a weapon there. But I full on was looking for the corpse oh, fungus. Heck yeah, I was looking the whole time. I was like blue. And it was so blue. There was so much blue. There were flowers and there. And the lighting, like it and was the lit lighting, very blue. And then the body had like the tartan had blue in it. I was like, dang, there's blue. And then I'm like, oh, no, they didn't go there. Whatever. I was, But it was like, I was so searching out for that corpse fungus. I was yeah. like, oh my God. But it wasn't there. Yeah, the first thing I wrote in my notes was, who was looking for blue corpse mold other than me? Yes. And other than me. That's the hashtag right there. And corpse, corpse and, mold. When, and when and when Jamie's like, 
how much longer are you going to take? How long does it take to take a pish? And I'm like, you know, if I went off in the woods to go take a pee and there was a dead body, it might take me a little while. <laughs> or it may take you no time at all because you'd be running back depending on what you found. So it did bring home the point that this war was just as real as any other. So she takes his weapon and returns to Jamie. But the way they open with him sheltered in that mossy area, it's going to sound really weird, but wasn't it almost sweet? Not the corpse, not that he's dead, but it was very gently done. It wasn't, it was out of respect. It was well, talking about was, the war and people. But it was lit in such a way that it was almost dreamlike, like, but, okay. it, like fairies, fairies, like you just, it and was very. And that's where I get the word sweet. It was very evocative of something dreamlike. I think that's a good way to put it. But it also And made, it still reminded me of Hannibal. I was, I was just going to ah! say that. But with the mushroom guy? Uh, with Dude, he had a few things like that. I the know. mushroom dude, the people he put in trees. People who, yeah, he did a few things with fungi. He was a fun guy, that Hannibal. Even a waterfall, as I said, or butter in the background. Uh, Just a tip, don't drink that water. Just the tip. Then we go directly to the situation room. I think the prince looks like he's trying too hard. I don't know. So General Lord John Murray and Quartermaster John O'Sullivan are the main players here, besides the prince and Jamie. O'Sullivan wants to attack. And Murray wants to be safer and make sure that, that the troops make the right move. Now, Jamie brings up that now there is a, you know, the British are directly across from the Scots. Or I should say government to be correct, right? The government troops, even though they don't call them government here, they call them British or English. The government troops are across from the Scots, across this meadow. And that's what's keeping them apart. O'Sullivan wants to charge, and Lord Murray is not sure about the meadow. Because it's not a meadow, it's a bog. Well, it, they're calling it a meadow, but he doesn't know if it's muddy or if it's safe. So Jamie brings up as I said, that the meadow is separating the two camps is basically boggy and muddy. And there is talk of testing the meadow to see how dangerous it would be. But basically, it's a pissing contest between Murray and O'Sullivan. It is. But before we go any further in plot, I would like to speak to the prince's outfit, which is where I was trying to go when I said it looks like he's trying too hard. Because for an entire more than half of a season that we've seen the Bonnie Prince Charlie, he has never once had any tartan on his body ever. And he explodes into Scotland in like head to toe tartan, tartan socks, tartan kilt, tartan jacket with like the filigree. It was the most, it was I so wanna, ridiculous. I would have wanted to be a fly on the wall of that fitting room. When he puts everything on, it comes out. I bet people are pissing themselves laughing. Oh man, it was so that- much tartan. I mean, at least it was all the same tartan, but it was so much tartan. And can we discuss how much of a teenager Andrew Gower looks like now? Like he looked like, well, and maybe it's because he's outside now and we've only ever seen him lit in candles, but he looked like a 12 year old boy. And maybe that was also the intention that he was just so out of his element and not prepared to do what, what he was there to do. But he looked like a toddler next to all of these like, Rugged. wizened rugged soldiers and he's just oh everything he did in this episode made me think he was just a kid a big uh, a, an adult-sized child and uh something else makes a return mock me <laughs> oh i have a count i got four how many did you get I, I don't know i don't know we'll see by the end so it's good to know that he's back the prince is convinced that he will continually be welcomed with open arms when they meet other british yeah good luck with that all advisors are united in one thing and that the time for talk is over. The prince thinks, if we just send someone to talk... Uh, no, princey. No. No, princey poo. But Murray won't risk destroying the army by sending them into potentially certain death. Which is a smart thing to do. Of but, course. But he was... It was like he was... It was a smart move, but he was real timid. He's like, let's all just go back to Edinburgh. And he's like, we're not going to Edinburgh. The troops are there. 
We're going to wait for them to lay siege to the city and take us all out? That doesn't make any sense. Outside. Did you see the dude in the skinny jeans? It looked like like everyone's in like voluminous kilts and stuff. And there's one very, very skinny man who was in like pants. And it looked like he was wearing like skinny jeans. He just looked really out of place next to all the kilts. I did not. And now you're gonna, I'm going to have to go watch it a third or fourth you time. You shall. So outside in front of the situation room, quote, our cause must succeed, James. I promised my father and I promised God. Mock me. Quote. Well, then we must succeed if he promised his father <laughs> and God. So the prince tells Jamie that any British wounded must be cared for first. They are also his father's subjects and he would have them, quote, well, cared for. That was a, not, it wasn't quite British like cad. It was called it was oh let's let's, I, let's not forget to, he can't pronounce ours or that's an ar yeah that's true oh who knows so they are our enemies now he says but one day soon they will be our friends again uh, jamie replies quote i'm afraid the british have never been a friend to the scots unquote and he advises the prince to not speak of such things around the other men <laughs> yeah you think and claire he says wouldn't follow an order from the prince and the prince says perhaps not from the prince or from myself her prince but surely she'd follow an edict from her lord and master i, I wrote, died <laughs> i died and the look on jamie's face he's like oh okay you have no idea and i was thinking <laughs> to myself know. i know i know very easily how sam as a person kept a straight face during that but i can't imagine jamie as a character being able to hold it together when he was like insinuating that he was going to just go in and tell Claire what to do. Let's say, Princey, there was this one time where I tried and then I had to basically spank beat her and I got like almost a broken jaw. <laughs> she will hold her own. So at the Scots camp, the men are around a fire and it's quite windy. Angus is having fun by spitting whiskey that at one of the Lallybrach men. That was not fun. Con He's having fun continuously angus mocks the lallybrach fair-haired dude who gives it back or gives it back to him not the whiskey he doesn't get it and give it back to him that would be gross that would be hard it was in the dirt by then and then angus threatens him some of it was in his beard and on the side of his oh, face so then angus threatens him with the dirk Murta, Dougal, and Jamie finally get him to calm but down. But let's be honest what that really was i think is everyone was stirring for battle Oh, they were ready. bored, and yeah. I think he was honestly trying to incite a fight so that he had something to do. Angus? Yeah. Yeah. Someone needs to check But out. that other guy needed to go find a new seat, because the second like somebody started spitting anything at me, I'd have gotten up and walked away. You either take care of it or you leave. Right. And I am not one for violence, so I would leave. Um, spit a mouthful of ale on my face once, I'm up and gone. I'm not going to sit there and let you do it to me twice. And he let him do it like what three times? It was at four least, times. It, I think it was. I think it was twice, but it was bad. Someone needs to check out the meadow between the camps. Jimmy tells them, but such a mission would be suicide. So, eat up and drink. Dougal and Jamie chat about the meadow, and Dougal says, "Uh, if you think you're gonna do it and you survive, the prince would have your head for endangering yourself." But then he says, "Well, someone has to do it," and Dougal rises up. Let's go. Mm -mm. Now, you sound drunk when you do that. Let's go. You're all rise up. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I am so not drunk. I haven't drunk like in two weeks. I know. Or I'm four just, weeks. I'm just saying that's what it sounds like. Jamie says, 
125 yards to keep out of the British line of fire, the firing distance capability of their guns. And Dougal says, thereabouts. Like well, 105. He, he start, you know, he started with 105. And then when he was like, no, stick to 120, 125. <laughs> Graham McTavish has seldom looked better. He rides out on this horse. With his arms out, out. You know. Almost like a Christ figure, which he kind of is or could be sacrificing himself for the co- for the good of the cause. But of course, he survives. This was also, I think we've discussed this before. The scene, Did you see City of Angels? Uh, yeah. The scene where Meg Ryan's riding her bike. She puts her arms out and closes yeah. her eyes and then immediately gets hit by a semi. It's like one of those moments where you're like, that person's like, I'm free. He's about to go. And this is going to, here's your death. That was a sad movie. It was. Dougal gets noticed by the prince, a convenient side benefit of his s- almost sacrifice. Angus is getting all fancy pants when he realizes he's talking to the prince, mm-hmm. and it's priceless. And of course, we find the meadow is muddy. Now, on the first, the first time I watched it, I was just like, oh, you know, I hope the horse doesn't get stuck or whatever. Second time I watched it, I had a huge old hit me over the head. Never ending story. Oh my gosh. The last time <laughs> someone tried to pull their horse out of a potentially muddy grave was not successful. This is totally a never ending story moment. Wow. I wrote, Atreyu! Mm-hmm. So the horse the, didn't the, yell at I him. was like, the oh horse would never have said Atreyu. He wouldn't have, but it was Atreyu. Uh-huh. I, for years, had the hugest crush on that actor. He was like so prepubescent. So looking back now, I'm like, oh, I must have been like eight. You were also prepubescent. That is true. So it's probably quite safe. But oh my goodness. I So who who are three of my crushes I think I've mentioned on the show? Uh, Mighty Mouse. That may have been number two. The Fox two. from Robin Hood. The Fox from Robin Hood because he was British and he was a fox. But he was a cartoon. So I have to admit that. Mighty Mouse. That's probably a little bit more embarrassing. Superman. I don't know that I had a crush on him. I just practiced French kissing him on the TV. <laughs> if you didn't have a crush on him, then I have real problems with you right now. And then, <laughs> then how fourth... can you explain why you would choose him to pa- to practice French kissing with? It could have been anybody. Well, okay, I liked him. Okay, then. And then Atreyu, whatever the actor's name is. I don't know. He was just in a commercial recently with Atreyu? Falcor. Yeah, they had a whole never-ending story commercial with like aged Atreyu and Falcor. You remember Rockbiter? I do. Oh, my gosh. Okay, side note, side note, really side note. When I was in Germany as an exchange student in the 90s, we went to the Bayerische Film Studios, or I guess it's just called Bavarian Film Studios, where it was filmed, and they had Falcor. Yeah, you can pose on it. I did. You still can. I have a pi- You can. It's still there. there. Yeah, it's still there. <gasps> I have a picture of myself on Falcor. I'll have to find it. I was so young. Oh, this is all memories now. Oh, my gosh. But I can't believe I didn't think about Never Ending Story the first time. I thought... I wonder if they're doing this on purpose. Probably not. We're just nuts. I'm just nuts. And uh, we're going to share that link. Of course, I had to go find that. It's like a, it's like under a minute and a half or about a minute, 45 seconds. The clip on YouTube, which we'll include in the post for, in the show notes for this episode of the death of our tax. Because sadness kills. It is sad. Oh, I cried. When I cried. Nothing. Anytime. Oh. He died because he was sad. I mean, because he, he stopped fighting. Oh, stop it. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that again. So anything with an animal, it's it's sad when humans die. But oh, my gosh, animals. Oh, so back at pre- the war, the British definitely take aim and have fun. Dougal survives. Of course, it's just a drama. I love the horse and I'm so glad they didn't kill his Artax. 
Dougal returns and is embraced by the prince. He's a little overcome with the hug and everything. He's not used to being like held held like that. Well, it's and, not. Even- and it's the prince whom he has not quite deified, but this is the guy who holds all of his hopes. Well, he's the figurehead of the Jacobite Rebellion. Yeah. But before we get into that, before I talk about that, I would like to say that Dougal comes back. They're all hooting and hollering. And the prince, his like parting shot as he turns to walk away as he goes, surrender. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay. He's, he's made a successfully halfway across the meadow, discovered the bog and came back. And now the British should surrender. Oh, surrender. So Dougal's a little bit uncomfortable by... Seeing, being faced with this guy. It's true. And the hug. I and think, the hug. I know. But I think that because he's deified this man so much, he wants him to be as manly as he is, if not more. He expects him to be a rugged warrior not a and not a effeminate man. Yeah. And he, the prince even gives him a little mock me. That's really bad. But anyway, Dougal seems could be his a little bit of his discomfort but he also seems a little bit humble humbled not humbled like the prince was trying to humble humble him but <laughs> humble him i kept thinking you were laying like hump him <laughs> trying to humble him stop humbling me summer my brain come on your brain let's go my brain we know my brain no charge through the meadows because dougal has reported that it's muddy as heck but they still have to break the stalemate or Murray is getting the axe, it would seem. The best line of the episode. Jamie tells Dougal he should get his head wound looked at. Dougal says, nah, it's just a scratch. And then off to change my breeks because the hero of the hour has shat his pants. That's true. There are a few, there are some really good lines this evening. But didn't he say Let really good lines? Pints. <laughs> I don't, oh, whatever. In an accent. Yeah. Claire is with the women's in the makeshift hospital. Her lips were super pink in this scene. Super like dark Pink. Like they looked like lipstick. Lipstuck. Lipstick. Lipstuck. Past tense. Lipsticked. <laughs> Wait, that's what you said. Mm-hmm. Never mind, I'm going backwards. There was a Dr. McPherson who left his medical bag, but they have his equipment there. And I love how Fergus is lying down in the pallet on the floor in the background. At least he starts that way. And then Claire lays down the medical law. So one woman is to keep the buckets full of well water. Meanwhile, as I said, it was just in the beginning. Fergus gets up real quick and he's like making a racket in the background. And uh, Typical, another, typical like 10-year-old boy exactly. running around. He's bored. Another woman looks after the honey water. And Claire says this is to help keep up someone's blood pressure as well as replace fluids and to prevent shock now fergus is to keep the kettle fires burning he mumbles women's work i know i was like uh fergus oh kate bush unfortunately summer and i can't afford to uh pay the licensing for that song so we won't have that in here so don't worry we might link it in the in the blog post if we sing it poorly enough they'll never know (laughs) <laughs> don't I, I can't it's cool I honestly can't she's like good later that night there's a visitor to the hospital Fergus brings in a Richard Anderson before who says he needs to meet with the prince before that Jamie's coat the daddy's coat yeah Abby shot needs to make that coat pronto it needs to be on their list of is coats to make me or is it it's totally different it's totally different but for some reason maybe because someone like Abby shot could do something like that and they already do the doctor who stuff mm-hmm. that had like 
maybe it wasn't Doctor Who. Maybe it was like a Captain Jack look to it. I don't know. It was just, it was like tattered and worn, right? Not like tattered, like it was falling apart, but it was, it was used. It was mm. a nice used leather jacket. Her face right now, you guys, is like priceless. What does that mean? Because you're like... <laughs> Summer, you're funny, but they can't see that either. They can't, but you can. That made me laugh. So the dude, Richard Anderson, says his father owns the land they're on, and he knows the land. He knows a way to get to the English around the meadow. He knows like a passage, like a secret passage. A secret passage. Not like in a castle, but a way No, around. it is. You walk up to a tree and you push a, spe- <laughs> a special knot. And, and you then, come to the fairy place the, where the corpse was. <laughs> and the path opens up and then you go on. Okay. So, you know, I wouldn't mind getting to know Richard Anderson. He was a mighty fine looking actor. What's the actor's name? Well, my, I, I, I didn't Google look that it up. I, yeah, I had something to say. Oh, I want to hear it, but I want to hear this first. <laughs> I'm so demanding. This is all your world, and we're all just living in it. Well, you don't have to tell that out loud, but yeah, it's inscribed on my bedroom wall. That is a lie. No, it's not. You haven't been in there recently. Alex Hope. Mr. Alex Hope. I'm going to see if you're on Twitter right now. I'm going to follow you. You're kind of cute. Okay, well, while you do that, I just want to say that every time somebody said Mr. Anderson, I was imagining, I was remembering, I should say, The Matrix. And I kept hearing... Hugo Weaving saying, Mr. Anderson? Maybe. I don't know. It says London, Edinburgh. Mr. Anderson. That's funny. So the Matrix ruined uh, that name for me forever. Focus. I have things to do. Come I'm on. I'm trying to. You're I'm not. This up. What you're doing right now is not important. I'm trying to look at the cute actor. Stop it's it. Important. Ginger, please. Come on. You can do that all night long after I'm done here. Wow. We don't talk about what I do all night long. That's not appropriate. Well, we know it's not sleeping. What does that mean? I, I don't know. sleep at I hear night. you get up. To pee. To go pee. <laughs> so you're not sleeping all night long. I drink long. a lot of water. I don't have a prostate problem. <laughs> Thankfully. There's no maid here to help you with that if you had a prostate. Summer. Ginger. Oh, enough. So to get the information, they mull over whether to trust him or not. And the quartermaster is gone? They say he's not there when they have this conversation. It's just the Prince Jamie and Lord Murray. He the was prince... sent off to um, oh, get fine. rations. Yeah. So they, the prince says, yes, let's go. I did sound drunk. drunk. And I also like did like a little head wiggle. <laughs> that didn't help the not drunk part. Outside before the battle, two Lallybrach men agree to take care of each other's kids or, and wives if one of them doesn't survive. There's so many spit on hands in this episode. Oh, and so yeah. much spitting in this episode, to be honest. Oh, that gosh, was just yeah. Like, and I don't consider myself a germaphobe, but it was turning me into one. Angus sees this exchange and tells Rupert... He can have his dirk, sword, and sporran if something happens to him. He's laughing while he says this. And Rupert says, what good is a sword that's never been used? Angus replies, you think I'd want a fat man's blade dangling from my hip? Oh, this is perhaps the second best line of the episode. Um, Not the part where he says, uh, and I'm pretty sure you can have the whore. She's a part-time whore, but a full-time barmaid. Where he like oh, that's be- funny, but I like he bequeaths him. Made me laugh longer. Yeah. So Angus says he'll also leave him leave him Scarlet the Hood as well, and uh, he says, "Do you accept?" And Rupert says, "I do not." <laughs> <laughs> and then Rupert crosses himself to ward off the talk of death, all mm. this potentially evil stuff, which he had the right feeling. 
the right inclination there. So Jamie and Murta together. Murta is grinding his blade with a non-stop. super super shiny knee. Did you see his knee? It was all glistening. Oh, no, his knee was shiny. Did he have something? He's got something on his chest. He wants to get like, off his chest. I'm like literally. Or <laughs> sorry, you want something? You wanted to get off his chest. My idiom is something English, on his chest. I was like, like was hair. it a bug? Did he not shave his it chest? It was hair. Murta says the difference between doing a raid is that if you died, your memory would live on in your clan, and your death would have meaning. But the war is different. The death of a single person is basically meaningless in an army. Jamie says he feels the same way, and the two bond, even more, like they never bonded ever, over this, and then Murta goes back to his whetstone. And he, he said, if you keep if you keep grinding it on the whetstone, you're going to be left with a needle. And that was like, Game of Thrones, needle! needle! <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh, it's like that might references. not be a bad thing. So they're back, I put in their place, and what I mean by that is, is Jamie and Claire in whatever little room, house they have there. So Jamie and Claire are getting ready for bed when in pops Fergus, who wants to join the fight the next day. They both say no. He must stay and help keep the women safe. Angus comes in like within a minute and says it's time. And Claire says if you ask me, the British don't stand a chance because she's trying to trying to help them without telling them. Angus looks at her and makes this kissy face. And he guilts her into kissing him by saying he could die the next day and uh watching it a second time you realized as summer already pointed out just how much ira laid it on to foreshadow angus's death i did not see that coming the first time i didn't well no here's the here's the thing i felt like it was a misdirection like the whole time that because we all book readers know what happens to rupert Mm. for what happens to rupert to have happened here it was the wrong place but I was thinking, well, maybe they're cutting that part out and they're just going to do this here. So the whole time I thought he was playing up this whole misdirection thing to kind of do the foreshadowing for Rupert, who's like, get the devil's eye away from me. No, you're not going to kiss me because we're all coming back and we're all going to be alive. So I thought I thought he was trying to set us up for Rupert's demise. So going back, and I, my second time through this whole episode became like watching Sixth Sense the second time when you have that the reveal of what happens and then you go back through and you re and you re-examine everything that leads up to it. It's everything means more. Everything was more emotional. And for me, like I was, I was sad watching it the first time, but the second time I watched this episode, I was weeping. Like faith weeping? No, I was not ugly crying. I was, no, there were tears though. It was, it was like a silent, quietly, quietly crying. I was probably actually pretty crying. I probably looked okay this time. There was no snot. Maybe just one rolling down the cheek and then another one rolling down the cheek. It could have been scored by Bear McCreary. So as they leave, Claire says to Murta, watch over Jamie. And his reply, always. Man, I love Murta. She then tells Murta again that, yes, they will win the day. Jamie and Claire have a farewell kiss with their theme beneath that, their, their music theme. And now in what I'm about to say, I write that I saw it several times and I did, but I didn't make a note of it. When I watched it the first time, I noted this several times, at least twice. And then when I went back and to take notes, I said, oh, I see it here. Although I may have missed the first time. I think this is the first time I took a note and then proceeded to never mention it again. So there are at least two times because I noticed it at least twice when Jamie and Claire are kissing and there's like the firelight in the background on the side. You see the fire reflected on her ring. And every single time it's Frank's ring. Now, it may be absolutely not meaningless. It could just be the angle because that's the way they had him stand. Mm-hmm. 
But every single time, it's Frank's ring. Well, let's also point out that Frank's ring is way shinier than Jamie's ring. That is true. It would not have reflected... It was that side. It would not have reflected the firelight as well. So she tells him in parting, on your way, soldier. And Echoes of course, of on this, your feet, soldier. Yep, harkens back to when she has fixed him up the second time, the gunshot wound after she's bound his dislocated shoulder, on your feet, soldier, of episode 101. I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but the parting shot of Claire here is her in front of the fire, which is within a stone circle. Oh, Lord. I just thought that was funny, and I only saw that the second time. On the day of the Battle of Preston, or Battle at Preston, it's a night march, of course, and back at the hospital, Claire tells the women to get some rest, and she realizes Fergus is missing. Did you hear the music that was playing underneath? It sounded like a heartbeat. Uh, like, doom, 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 doom. It sounded like everyone was like on, on edge, and just the heartbeat of the stress heartbeat is what I, I just noticed that. Meanwhile, back at the march, the little Frenchman has hidden away in the ranks. Did you notice how quickly it became morning? It's like they show Fergus in the dark with the men and then boom, it's morning. It's light. I mean, it's, it's not like bright day, but it's morning. It's now gray and misty and no longer dark. The prince doesn't like to be told what to do. He says it's his army. Quote, I carry a sword and I'm trained in its use. Yeah, that's all well and good when you're shot, your highness. <laughs> Jamie convinces him to stay back, appealing to his ego and sentiment. Okay, maybe this is the second best line of the episode. He says, Mark me, I don't believe my father is that fond of me. And how bad did you feel for the brawny prince when he was like, I don't think my father's that fond of me? Ira Bear is really good this episode. It just makes me think everything that the Bonnie prince has done for probably most of his life, the way that he's been, been written is to get his dad to like him. That's very sad. And makes him know, a kind of sympathetic he's a, figure. He's, he's Pathetic. Yeah. It's a tragic figure. Yeah. So Claire is telling the women what she needs and she tells them she's been around war before and that the women must be strong. This for, was the scene with the heartbeat. Their, for their men. That's oh, that what I was trying to say. So the battle. Jamie leads the men in a silent assault through the morning fog. They surprise the British, some of whom are still sleeping. And it is... I wouldn't necessarily say a slaughter, but it is a definite win. Did you notice the dude with the scythe? There was like one Scottish soldier who was running through the battle with a giant scythe, like a wheat cutting scythe. That's funny. I was like, whoa. Okay. Now this is the first time I saw stars written all over this show because of the battle scene. Finally, major battle scene, right? I had flashbacks to Spartacus. Yeah, but I would say that they had better blood spray. Than More Spartacus. realistic. Well, Spartacus, Spartacus was, was like, comical. You, I mean, I loved it, but it was over the top. Yeah. But did you? And I watched it twice, and I saw it twice. Spartacus, by the way, was one of the favorite, one of my favorites ever on Stars. Gore and blood, of course. And wasn't there an eyeball that came out of someone's head when he was slashed? I saw it two times. Did you see the eyeball come out of the guy's head? No. Okay, we'll watch it again together. I promise you, there's an eyeball. I saw it twice. You, how many what? times did you see it? Nice. Are you sure? You want to tell me again? <laughs> not three times and not once and not any more than three times. The women hear the battle begin and they get ready for the men to, the wounded to arrive. There is so much fighting. It's the most we've ever seen in this show. Is this why Sam liked it so much? There was all kinds of articles about why this was his, one of his favorite episodes. I didn't read any of those articles. Me either. I try not to read too much beforehand. I know, I I know. I'm sure a lot of the action was really exciting for him. Because he does fight choreography. And he also is 
a license. I don't know if it's licensed or what the term is, but he's also a fencing instructor. Fencing instructor, exactly. So I thought, oh, maybe it's because of the fence, because it's not fencing. Maybe it's because of the sword fighting. But then they had actual sword fighting between him and BJR in Paris. So I don't think it's just that, but maybe it was on such a larger scale. Maybe he helped out. I don't know. You guys let us know because again, we try not to read too, too much beforehand because we want to come to this with only our with as little spoilerage as possible, <laughs> which is hard to do when you've read all the books. Well, yeah. So one of the Lallybrach men has died. And the one who started the conversation about if you die, I'll take care of your family and vice versa. He's the guy who died. The one, the light haired one. Ross was the guy who started the conversation. Oh, and the dark headed guy? Yeah. And okay. his friend is Kincaid? the one who died. Kincaid, I think. Ross is the guy. His name is Ross. I don't know his last name. No, the guy who died. Oh, I don't know his name. I think it's Kincaid. I just know the one who didn't die was Ross. Okay. So the light haired guy died. The ginger. He did not start the conversation. Correct. So, man, the battle scene. Okay. No, but when you bring a dude to hospital and his eyes are shut, do not shut, oh. and his pupils are fixed. Maybe he's, he's pretty not. much dead, dude. Okay, so maybe you'll understand what I'm about to say because you actually got were on the same wavelength with that corpse in that little kind of weird mystical, not glen, but that little area that seemed kind of dreamlike, right? Mm -hmm. Fairy-like, which is really weird to say, but you totally like took the words out of my brain. The battle scene is kind of beautiful. Not like fairies, but uh, it's in the mist. And of course the choreography and it, you heard clashes, but it all it went it went back and forth between like slow mo and then regular speed, you know, fast, whatever, and a lot of gore. But again, not Spartacus gore. It wasn't mm -hmm. over the top because they weren't half naked. You didn't see their guts coming out. They were all closed. But it was in a weird way. It was beautiful. And I wrote once again, seriously, stars knows. Even though I know stars wasn't the fight coordinator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> stars knows how to do good battle scenes they really they do they just do or at least they produce good battle scenes or they host the shows that do them well i just think they have good taste in programming well duh they have they have little to do with the actual creation of said programming but they know funny. how to pick it it was but it was i'm sorry that eyeball coming out of that guy's head and the way the bread the blood sprayed that was spartacus written all over it so I'm not saying that the people who worked on Spartacus worked on here, but I'm just saying it's funny that they're both stars. And if you guys have seen Spartacus and saw a little touch of Spartacus in the battle scene, let us know because that was all I was seeing. So we Fergus is in the middle of it, frightened out of his With mind. With the smallest knife I've ever seen. Needle! <laughs> it was smaller than needle. I know. And the Brits start to retreat. The government troops start to retreat. And Rupert is hit. Rupert and Angus arrive at the hospital. And Angus is like adamant. You must save him, mistress. I'll not allow that fat bowl bag to die on me. And from the moment he shows up in the door, helping Rupert to the hospital the second time through i was a crying weepy mess because this whole scene had a whole new meaning to it yeah every last bit of it where he's just like don't help me don't touch me take yeah. care of him and i don't know for me if there was going to be two characters in the show who represented like and they're not but who represented like homosexual couple like these guys are <laughs> i was not i know that. i know but these this is they're best friends. They're like, they are platonic life partners. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just, it was sad that one had to go on. And, and I think that, I think that we, you feel it at the end of the episode that Rupert 
felt a fat bow bag. I know, felt such a loss. Like the loss of this man that almost no one else would have cared for meant so much to him that it was just, he was just cradling his sword at the end. It was so, it was hard. So Rupert has been majorly wounded, but Claire's able to stitch him up. Rupert asks Claire if Angus is blown up. The latter said, it's just a cannon blast. And this is a huge hint as to what happened to poor Angus. Then we're shown a bit of what happened. Uh, he was thrown through the air because he was so close to a, ca- a cannon blast to where the ball landed, I believe. He'd saved Rupert's... I, I'm not... I can't say for sure whether he whether or not he was hit. Because mm. for the amount of internal bleeding he had, just being thrown forward... I think it Would not have caused that much internal bleeding. But and if he'd been hit, like... I think if he were hit, he would have died. If you're hit straight on with a... Bl- with a cannonball, you're it's gonna tear you up, girl. It's gonna it's not gonna It had to have been more than just falling. Just falling forward, which is what it you know. No, so, it threw him off it threw him. Okay, so maybe he wasn't physically hit by the cannonball, but I mean that was some major trauma to have caused that much damage. Now he had saved Rupert's life, but a cannonball had landed just behind him, I wrote, and you know, we'll watch it again to watch that. But it was close enough to cause major internal injuries, either because it was so close, how close he was to the blast, or it threw him hard enough that when he landed, he got internal injuries from the fall, from hitting the ground so hard, yeah. Claire checks out Angus's head. His eyes are fine, meaning his pupils are equal. They're not, you know, his blown pupils or anything. She diagnoses him with a mild concussion. He says he's only tired and he sets to watching Rupert's breathing. Now, Jamie comes in, sees Claire, and confirms their victory. 50 men lost in about 15 minutes. The battle was only 15 minutes. Jamie, I wrote, Jamie, is it a cock stand you have? He was all over Claire. Mm. Like, not just, oh my gosh, my, my dear honey, we're back. He was like, come here, give us some Claire. Fergus doesn't quite come riding in on, the ca- on a cannon like in the book he does, but he is sitting on one. So that was... Decent. Uh, he's he's got a little PTSD. Just a little. He's killed, or at least he thinks he's killed an English soldier. Dougal is still on the battlefield in his blood rage. He's going around to the British and stabbing them to make sure every last one is dead. And he's not even like doing it to like steal from them. He's doing it out of assholery. Yeah. He's just a douche. He was dickish. For yeah. sure. And then it's Lieutenant Cutie. Jeremy Foster from episode 106. Love. He was in several episodes. Brittany. That's true. He's injured, but sitting up against a carriage. And they start to talk and Dougal says that he was an honorable redcoat. So things start out, you know, kind of decently. Well, given the way the scene started, I knew this couldn't end well. (laughs) Foster asks him, Dougal, to take him to the infirmary. He says something very dangerous to Dougal. You cannot defeat the British army. You won a battle, but you will never win this war. Yeah, that wasn't the smartest. I mean, he was never going to carry him to the infirmary. No, but ever. he may not have killed him. He might have left him to just die on the well, field. For someone else, else may have come him. back and he may he lived long enough. He may have been helped eventually somehow, some way. Point is. But Dougal wouldn't have taken him. Yeah. One misspoken <sighs> sentence and all of my hopes for a Lieutenant Cutie spinoff were dashed. And that seals his own fate. I admit I was surprised at this Dougal bloodthirstiness. Uh, he is indeed bloodthirsty, and knowing what we know happens at the end of DIA, it's in character with him. It is. But, but could you imagine the I writers still, room? Oh my gosh! When they're like, "Hey, I know." So we're fighting the British. 
why don't we bring, bring back Tom Brittany for one episode? Just kill him. We'll bring him on for like 35, 45 seconds and then just kill him. What do you think? That'll be awesome, right? I wonder what Tom Brittany thought. And he was like, <laughs> at least they thought of me. Exactly. <laughs> so back at the hospital, Angus makes peace with the surviving Lally Brachman. And Angus has a headache and he says he's tired. Those are also signs. Claire notices that Jamie has was stepped on by a horse. And I love this. It's straight from the book. They Then she has him pee in a bottle to check his kidneys. And as he's doing so, the prince comes in. Now, this was a little different in the book. I believe in the book he was messing with the British soldiers because he was saying he was planning on actually peeing on the dude's hand. Oh. Or his feet or his boots. But the the point, it was a joke. He was like, yeah, take it all the way over there. <sighs> I, sh- I, you know, we'll see how far I can do it. I can do it all the way to there. And then the, they would put the cup over there and then he would proceed to not make it and pee all over the shoes. If I'm not mistaken, that's how it went in the book. I don't remember. But, but he that, appeared that to be, he appeared to be successful. It sounded like he was successful. It was the sound like of, of a liquid cup hitting. being filled okay. by a stream of liquid. Just as the prince is giving his speech. Awkward. Dougal comes in, sees the British, and freaks out. Because remember where he's just been? Killing, stabbing, British. murdering British. Yeah. Not killing them like in a war. Cold-blooded murder. He threatens to kill them. Now, he hasn't, Dougal has not seen the prince yet. So the prince sees this. And talk about a fall from grace, like in less than five seconds. Oopsie. The prince asks Jamie to remove him, Dougal, from the muster roll. Claire looks disgusted as Dougal walks away, as she should. But Jamie comes up with a compromise. They need always so quick on his feet. He is. He would be a great politician. Diana. Except this is not Diana because it's not from the book, so I can't take it back. So they all need the warrior. They need all the warriors they have. Jamie says, Dougal, let's make him into a type of scout. Make him a captain of the newly formed Highlander Dragoons, and he can report on troop movement, etc., but the prince will never have to lay eyes on him again. So, definitely, very smart move, Jamie. Dougal thanks Jamie, but tells him, basically, not quite touche, but like a, good on you, dude. That was, that was something Colin would do. I'm very impressed. He's like, but I'm on to you. Yeah. But he was impressed, but he was still like peeved about it. He's like, I know what you're doing. Yeah, but he was still, I think, mostly impressed. Angus is not well, we find. He's spitting up blood. Claire realizes that he's been bleeding internally the entire time. And there is nothing to do but stay with him. I don't know that there's ever anything she could have done. That's what I mean. Like, even if she caught it when he first came in, I don't think there was anything he could have done. He would need to be opened up. Yeah. And there's nothing. You, could, you couldn't have done that in there. So the music, of course, is very sad. Now, I watched... Okay, I watched the entire episode two times, but I watched this scene like four times after the fact. What is he saying to her? I could not make it out. He's trying All to right. say something. And at first... I'll have to wait for the subtitles. Oh, that's true. Well, they may not... He may just say mumbling of a de- dying man. It may. I couldn't... I didn't get it. What I wrote... <laughs> It's probably very wrong, but was something like, sing to me, mistress? No, I don't think that's See, I don't think he would say, maybe kiss me. No, I don't think it's that, because I didn't hear a cuh. He looked like he just massacred a jelly donut, like a big, shiny red jelly donut. But it was so sad as he's, his eyes like go back from Claire to Dougal, like, help me. What, what's, oh man, that was, that was so, so sad. And Rupert, once he's done, once he's dead, Rupert stands up, I think shocking everyone. And, uh. 
from his sickbed and goes to take Angus's sword. And of course, more beautiful music. And like I said, I think everyone kind of mourned Angus just because he was the first fallen comrade, the first one that they were close they friends knew. with that they knew that they lost in this in this war. But like I said, Rupert just like lost his platonic life partner. Like he's he's gutted. And not only is he gutted, he's like he saved me, first of all, on the battlefield when it happened. He shot the dude off his horse and mm. then got blown up himself, but still helped Walked me in, get yeah. into the infirmary. And then didn't get seen for his own injuries, even though I begged for them to look at him. And now I'm the one who survived. And not only that, the the whole, like I said, the misdirection of Iris Stephen Bear is that the first guy who started the whole thing, the Lollybrook man, who was like, if something happens to me, take care of my family. You know, you can do this and, and whatever. His whole thing was he wanted to make sure his family was taken care of because he thought, whatever reason, he thought he was going to go. Whereas it was his friend that he lost. And then on the other side, it was the whole misdirection of Angus saying, you know, we should do that. And me thinking Rupert was not long for this world, <laughs> the way that it was being written. And then to have it all go back and have it be on Angus. So I was just, it was, this episode definitely kept me on my book reader toes. And it was very sad. And I'm not kidding, guys. Go back and watch this whole episode again like you just saw the sixth sense and you need to go back and look for all the telltale clues and stuff. And I promise oh, you was, everything oh, with yeah. Angus from the moment Rupert gets... Except the spitting, maybe. No. Everything that Angus does from the moment he appears and especially once he shows back up in the hospital and is begging for Claire to take care of Rupert from that moment on, like seriously, hysterical, weepy, sobby mess. But not, not, not faith-worthy. Not no. faith-worthy. Not faith So that night, there's a celebration of their victory. Dougal is somber, as are the others who were close to Angus. Now, Claire was right about Preston Pans, we of course know, but that means, she points out, that she's also right about Culloden. Rupert and the surviving Lallybrach dude, that's Ross, Ross are drunk and are singing together. <laughs> are they now buds? Are they kind of... I wonder if they're going to buddy buddy up for the next few episodes. We'll have to. We'll have to. Shared watch. grief. Shared grief. Yeah. And that's 210. Very sad. It was sad. But you guys, as sad as the few, few sad episodes we've had this season, I can honestly say that it's only going to get worse. <laughs> it's not going to get better, guys. So remember, if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to, to commiserate with. Tweet Summer. Tweet me. Yeah, I'm there for you. I'm just saying we, we're here for each other. And and of course, if you go to our group on Facebook, you can. Oh, please. Can definitely Hello. please join us there and we will continue the conversation. And you will always, I promise you, you will find. I know a lot of people who say I don't have anyone where I live who yeah. I can talk to you about this. And we're there. And we're and the there. Book, the book. The group's open 24-7. We're not open 24-7. Because our eyes are shut. But it's true. But, but an easy way to get to the group. Thank you, Summer, for mentioning it. Is... We have a special URL for you guys. It's really easy. It's outlanderpod.com slash group. And it will take you straight to our Facebook group. And uh, one of the admins or mods will add you as soon as they can. Thank you as always so much for listening. We look forward to our next episode. Thank you to our generous audio host, audioboom.com. 
Our Audio Boom channel is www.audioboom.com slash channel slash OutlanderPod. Visit our website at www.outlanderpod.com. Follow us on Twitter at OutlanderPod. Find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash OutlanderPod or email us at OutlanderPod at gmail.com